Hey everybody, happy Easter and welcome to West Seattle Christian Church Online. If you are new, welcome. If not, welcome back. In lieu of announcements this week, I simply want to direct your attention to our website and specifically the blog on our website where you can find out everything that's going on in our community, uh, like our middle school student ministry, other special events, and our kinfolk groups. You can also find out everything you need to know about our community at the tip of your fingers by using our mobile app including how to give generously. And today, uh, Easter is a good day to talk about generosity. We, we continue to help out our church family and friends uh, and neighbors in West Seattle and beyond through our Compassion Fund. And we've been assisting a lot of people and families lately. Uh, we don't want that fund to run dry. So my ask would be uh, for you today to consider, uh, whenever you, or maybe today or whenever you watch this, consider making a gift uh, above and beyond your regular giving to the church, to our Compassion Fund. Uh, it's easy to do that through our online giving portal online, through Subsplash, or through our app. Instructions are found on our giving page for how you do that or how to give another way. So thank you. All right. If you know me fairly well, you know that basically my favorite thing to eat ever is chips and salsa. Uh, growing up in Arizona, we had chips and salsa a lot and Mexican food is one of my favorite things to eat if not my top choice every time. Uh, it's one of uh, my crosses to bear that I really haven't found a really good Mexican food restaurant in Seattle that can compare to some of the places I grew up going out to eat at uh, when I was younger. Uh, when I was finishing up my undergrad degree I actually lived in Mexico for six months. I lived with a Presbyterian pastor and his family uh, and I had some of the best food ever when I lived there. I remember uh, one birthday party for the pastor's brother-in-law where they had the whole family there and there was like six different types of salsa, which I think is like where the idea for Hot Ones on the Now We Feast channel on YouTube came to be. Just kidding. But there was one pepper there that apparently everyone was waiting for the gringo to try. And luckily the pastor's son warned me that this particular salsa, tiene mucho pico. Translation, literally, literally, this salsa has a lot of seed because the seeds in peppers are actually what brings the heat. In other words, it's, it was hot, hotter than hot, and it was. I only put a tiny dab on the corner of my chip and my mouth was on fire. So Elias, wherever you are, thank you for the warning. Anyway, one of my favorite places to go for dinner with the pastor and his family was a taco shack that was literally made of corrugated pieces of metal roofing. Like all the walls and everything were made of that. And the table and chairs were all the cheap plastic type and the floor was dirt. I think we always went on, you know, Tuesdays. <laughs> but the tacos were the best. It was one of those places where the meat was roasting on a spit and you, and you could ask the cook. And well, the cook would ask you, what cut do you want? And he would slice it off. If you told him asada, he would cut that portion off. Meanwhile, the cook's wife would be making different types of salsa and she'd be dicing up fresh tomatoes and onions and jalapeno peppers and cilantro and it was fantastic. And the tacos were served properly with lime wedges and radishes. Now, here's the deal with salsa. Let's just take the tomatoes for instance. How many of you have grown tomatoes before? Probably quite a few. Uh, before you make salsa with them, they are connected to the tomato plant. They are ripe on the vine and the plant is connected to the soil by its roots and it's growing in the earth. And the same with all the other ingredients uh, in the salsa. So these tomatoes, they get their nutrients from the earth and the sun and the water that you give them, but then someone picks them and someone packages them and then they put them on a truck or a train 
and then they arrive at your grocery store and we buy them there. So they were disconnected from what gave them life and they end up on our tables so that we can eat because we have to eat because if we don't eat, what happens? We die. So what's interesting about this is that this food, which is dead because it's no longer connected to its source of life, it's dead, but it gives us life. And this was figured out a long time ago, but nutritionists discovered that the fresher food is, uh, meaning the sooner we eat it after it's been harvested, then the more life that food will give us. So it's better for us to eat fresh food. And this is in fact, usually, usually why it's better to eat fresh food from the farm or the farmer's market than from the grocery store. But sellers know this, and that's why the fresher your food is, usually the more expensive it is. So this is why also certain foods in our pantries and in our refrigerators are better than others. For instance, processed foods are made from the deadest ingredients where all the nutritional value has been extracted. So they don't give real life. So I even tell my kids the best part about chips and salsa is, not the, is, is the salsa, it's not the chips. The chips are processed, they're actually not healthy. But I tell them the chips are the delivery vehicle for the salsa, which is really what it's all about for me, the salsa. So the chips are kind of like a necessary evil. But the point is that certain foods aren't really giving us life because they were never really living to begin with. And though it pains me to say it, I'm talking about things like cookies and cake and ice cream, donuts, yeah, I went there, <laughs> and dare I say it, Twinkies. So side note, that's just a bit ironic because the Twinkie died in 2012, but then it came back in 2014. <laughs> but seriously, what I want you to see and understand is that the death of one thing actually gives life to us. Our very existence is dependent on the death of another living thing. And you can even take it a step further. How do, how do living things like tomato plants, how do they grow? Well, you plant them. And if you want them to be really healthy, you fertilize them. But where does the best fertilizer come from? Manure, which is organic material that is at the very literal end of its life cycle. It is deader than dead. It is decomposing. Composing means putting together. Decomposing means breaking down into nothing. Non-existence, dead, death. Manure, which is dead, helps create and sustain life. Tomatoes grow and are alive, but then they are cut from the vine and they are dead and we eat them so that we live. And so when you look at the natural processes of life on earth, there is a cadence, a rhythm that's on repeat. Death to life, death to life, death to life. The rhythm is, Death gives way to life, and it's part of the way that God created the world. And so, if you're like me, and you want more salsa in your life, what do you have to do? Well, you have to plant tomatoes or have somebody else plant them, which is super interesting because God, I think, was up to something from the very beginning. Because if you think about it, what is the act of planting a plant? You take a what? You take a seed and you dig a hole in the dirt and you bury that seed in the hole by covering it with more dirt. I mean, come on, what we're looking at here is the fact that we bury things that are dead. And when we bury that seed, by some miracle, it sprouts and it grows into a new plant full of life. So it's been said this way before, that death is actually the engine of life. And if you're tracking with me, then hopefully you're beginning to see a larger motif emerging here because when God wants to convey to us that he wants new life for you and me, 
for us, life everlasting? How do the scriptures tell it to us? The story is about Jesus and his life and his death. But then he rises again. It's death bringing about new life. This is the way the world works. God orchestrated it that way. Jesus' death on the cross and then three days later, his resurrection. It's like God is affirming to everyone, look, I am so serious about how this is the way the world works that my son will go through it for you. He will die to show you how to live, to show you how it works. And then Jesus invites us to take up our cross as well, saying at one point in Matthew 16, verse 25, he says this, unless you lose your life for my sake, you will never find it. And so maybe it'll come as no surprise to you that even before Jesus' resurrection, he resurrects his good friend Lazarus in John chapter 11, brings him back to life. And in the very next chapter, John 12, the crowd who saw Jesus, saw Lazarus rise again, they're following Jesus around because, yeah, that is what you do if you find someone who can bring people back from death into life. And then later in John 21, Jesus predicts his own death. And he has this very simple phrase to share. He says, unless a seed falls to the ground, it cannot produce new life. Here's the thing, in case you missed what following Jesus is all about and what Easter is about, all about. It's this. Jesus teaches us how to die so that we can really live. He dies for us. And then Jesus invites us to die to ourselves. And that means looking inward at all the things that make you who you are. Why do you do the things you do? Why do you say the things you say? Why do you act the way you act? How do you think about and treat others? When it comes to all that, what part of it needs to die? I think we learned very early on uh, that we need to get our value from somewhere. We think we do, whether it's being a good student or a good son or daughter or winning uh, at whatever it is you want to win at, uh, getting awards and achievements, being quicker or stronger, just better, or how much money you make or getting the best job or whatever. It's the uphill climb that the world seems to say is what success means. It means to go up, to ascend. But Jesus teaches us to lower ourselves, to descend. He invites us to die to all that so that we can really live, to lose our life in order to find true life. And how does Jesus show us this way? Through love. He tells us that he did what he did to prove his love for us. And he tells us, that true love wipes out the fear of death, the fear of dying. It even wipes out fear itself. When you finally, really, deeply acknowledge that there is a God, and not only that, but that this God loves you so much that he would die for you, it erases all fear. Because that deep, true love that would die for you is the most realist, real thing there is. And Jesus' love for us is his message. The medium is the message. And the medium Jesus used to convey his depth of his love for you is that he would die for you and then overcome death for you so that you can follow him in his way, in his truth, and in his life. And when you come to this realization of how much God loves you, you realize also that he loves you the way you are in the moment when you first realize God loves you. You don't have to be spiritual enough or moral enough, behaved enough. You don't have to be good enough. None of those things are what saves you. Jesus' message is, that we are saved in and through his death. And if we believe in him, we are saved through our death to an everlasting life. Quite simply, he invites you 
to trust him, to trust him with your life. That what you could never do on your own, he has already done it for you. This is why for centuries, many people have just said it like this, Jesus saves. And so the question before us that's put before us on Easter is this, will you put your trust in Jesus or will you trust in yourself? You know, and, and keep on trying to live through your own efforts, endlessly trying to stay alive while you keep feeling exhausted and tired and just drained until one day you can't find life anymore where you hold kind of so tightly to what you think life is that you're really, it's really just slipping away. You're losing it. Here's the reality. You got choices every day. You got options. You're gonna, go, gonna do it on your own, thinking you've chosen the upward path, the successful one, the path of ascent, or you can choose the path of descent where you know deep in your bones that you need a God who loves you so deeply that he would die for you to give you new life. And that's the invitation I extend to you today. Jesus invites you to die to yourself that you can truly live. You may believe in something else or someone else, but Jesus invites us to believe in resurrection. Resurrection means that God has not given up on you, that you matter, that God is in the business of renewing you, restoring you, redeeming you, rescuing you right now. That is his way. It's the way of Jesus because resurrection is not just about one day after this life is over, one glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away, as the old hymn incorrectly states. Resurrection contends, actually, that this life right now and the one that comes next is interwoven, interconnected, a whole seamless reality. And so the choice we make about the life that's truly life matters a lot. Every action we live in the way of Jesus matters. And all the old, tired, exhausted, wrong, and dark things of this world that affect our lives, especially when we choose those things over and against the way of Jesus, those things belong to death. But in and through Jesus, we have no fear of death because death, death does not belong. Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the question for you is, do you believe this? That's the question he asked all those years ago, and he's asking it now. And so today, this Easter Sunday, may you lose your life and in the process find it. May the love of God free you from fear, and may you trust that Jesus saves. And if you've already done all of that, and you're continuing to live the way, the way of Jesus, then may you stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit, my friends.